Zephaniah is a prophet who served during the time of King Joash. And Joash's father was a man named Ammon. And Ammon was murdered, he was assassinated, and so died very quickly. And Ammon's father was Manasseh, which was an evil king. And so for two generations, Judah was filled with idolatry and they were corrupted in their worship. And so uh, through those generations, it brought them about the peak of all wickedness. And so God decides to judge southern Judah. Now, as this young boy king, Josiah, becomes king, he starts to restore the religion. But the time is already too late. And so Israel, who knew that the time is too late, they started to despair. And so Zephaniah proclaims a prophecy to encourage them. And so though they are going to be, the nation is going to be destroyed, the nation of God is going to continue. There's going to be a remnant. And Zephaniah, what it means is the Lord has hidden away. And so the Lord has hidden those people that he's going to use for an important time. And so brothers, you do not need to try to be famous in the world. In Zone ministry for the past 20 years, we've also been hidden. Now we've continued to minister, but we've never tried to advertise ourselves. We've never tried to declare ourselves. We're waiting for God's time. And so for the time, uh, for the time of God, God has hidden us away. And so it's the same for you, brothers, that right now the people that God is going to use, He has hidden them away. And when the time comes, uh, he wants to use them, and so until that time comes, he has hidden them to raise them up. And so the fact that you are small or maybe not influential, in one sense, is that God is trying to prepare you. And so do not feel sad that you are small, insignificant. Rather, be grateful that God has given you the circumstances to rely on Him. The important thing isn't that it's small and poor. And it's not important how large or how influential you are. It's about how holy you are. And so for the most part, 
the larger, the more famous you get, the harder it is to maintain holiness. And so from that perspective, being small and being poor is actually happiness. Because in that state, when you are holy and pure, that those are the people hidden by God. So for, for that they can be used for the opportune time of God. And if you go to our house, there is this common bowl that you can use at any time. But the special bowl used for guests is always hidden away. And so when a special guest comes, that's when we take out this special silverware. And that is who the remnant are. Um, to, to prepare the way for the glorious return of the king, they have been hidden away. And so I met with God 32 years ago. And after meeting with him, already all power, all authority was starting to be manifest in me. And yet for 13 years, God did not allow me to do anything. And so I said to God, Lord, why did you give me this power if you don't let me use it? And God answered, if you use it right now, you're going to fall. And so I have hidden you away for my time. And so for 13 years, I was unable to do anything. And so do not think that it is your weakness that you are small or insignificant. Rather, this is your benefit. This is your gain. And from, uh, from a national perspective, Honduras is a nation hidden away by God. The important thing is whether you're rich or poor or big or small. It's about how much do you live by God? How deeply are you having fellowship with God? And so from that perspective, there are many Zephaniahs here. There is no reason for you to purposely make yourself be famous, purposely make yourself be known. That is not how God works. And Elisha uh, in the big city doesn't do anything but just stay still. And yet he is the army and, and, the, wep and the great weapon of Israel. That through the prayer of Elisha, all of Palestine moves. So the important thing is how deep of a fellowship you have with God. And so Zephaniah is hidden away by God. And so now he's proclaiming the judgment through Babylon. And all the prophets' prophecies that though the judgment is through Assyria or Babylon, and yet the result of all their prophecies is towards the end times, it's for the end times. 
And that's the surprising thing. That all the prophecies have, are, are prophesying about the end times. And so what does this mean? What does this signify? That mankind should fix their eyes towards that end times. And so whatever you do, it's about how are, how are you going to stand before God when He returns? Do not forget this for even a moment. Especially pastors who are here. The uh, result of your pastor ministry isn't on this earth. And it's not about you making something on this earth. You are preparing for eternity. And for this reason, we live on this earth to determine how we're going to go to that kingdom. And so we always have to consider who am I going to be before Him? That even now, am I going to stand before Him gloriously? And so that's what we need to confirm as we live our lives. And if you uh, turn away from this, that's when you will be corrupted. If you turn away from this, you keep trying to make something of yourself on this earth. And if you turn away from those things, those five evil desires that we learned this conference is what's going to start moving me. And eventually we're going to lose sight of God. And we're going to start building our own kingdom. And so, my time frame needs to always be set on the end times. And so this is what we call eschatological faith. If we lose faith of eschatol if we lose eschatological faith, we start to become worldly. Especially pastors, we need to be careful regarding this. Okay, that uh, that your that your payment for your ministry is going to end there, is going to be accounted for there, not not on this earth. And so though you may be small, insignificant church, from God's perspective, you might be the most precious. And so even if tens of thousands are gathered at your church, God may say, you have nothing to do with me. And so we need to see through the eyes of God that how is God looking at me? This is what we must never forget. Amen. And so chapter 1 and 2 is talking about the prophecy of the Third World War. And so I showed you the ske uh, schedule for the eschatology this morning, yes? And so uh, the eschatology of the end times and, and the judgment of Babylon is always overlapped. And so all the prophecies had their focus on the end times. And so what is a healthy eschatology? Is that they take the end times and make it into the present. That even if Jesus were to come right now in this moment, that I can stand before him in glory. 
And so it's not just focused on the future, but I'm bringing that future into the present. And so even now I'm standing face to face with God who is eternally in the present. This is a healthy eschatology. He is eternally present. Even now he is approaching us unendlessly. And so if I open my eye, I need to open my spirit and receive him. Because God has created us originally to meet with him in this way. But because we live by the flesh, we fail to do so. And even now, if you live by the Spirit, you will be meeting with Him. And the longer you spend in the Spirit, the more you will be able to confirm His presence. You will feel Him be closer than your breath itself. And so what is faith? Faith is about uh, spending time in that spirit longer and longer. And if possible, we need to be in the presence of God 24 hours a day. And you'll know how much He is interested in you. And you'll know God who is continually speaking to you. And you will see God who is continually wanting to have fellowship with you. And because that is what love is. If you love, you want to keep talking to that person. You want to keep meeting that person. Okay, before I got married to my wife, it took about 30, 40 minutes drive to get from my house to her house. And so I would have a, I would be on a date with her and we'd be talking and then and then I would take her home. And then I would take her home and I should have come back home. But I want to be closer to her. And so I went I took her back to my house and then talked to her and then I got to take her back home. And so I take her home. And then again, I don't want to break up with her. And so I go back home. And so talk to her. And then so what happened? Well, let's just live together. And so that's why we got married. And it's the same thing with the Lord. God came to Enoch. And he said, Enoch, let's play. And so Enoch, after eating his meal, uh, played with God for, throughout the day. And the night came home, and night came, and God brought Enoch home. And the next day, God came to Enoch again. Enoch, let's go play. Oh Lord, I'm putting on my shoes right now. And then so he played with Enoch or with the Lord again. And then at night they, he, he brought him home. And the next day God came finding again. Enoch, let's play. Uh, and I'm going out, I'm coming, I'm coming. And they played too late that day. And so what did God say? Hey, let's just go home. Let's go to my house. And so he went to God's home. 
This is what it means to walk with God. And because God is love, God continually has interest in you and continually uh, is facing towards you and continually wants to have fellowship with you. That is who our God is. And so if you love, you do not want to break, split up. Amen? And so the important thing is this deep fellowship with God. And honestly, this is everything. As so pastors, we really need to be careful. We keep trying to be a pastor without fellowship with God. Honestly, uh, what it should be is without fellowship, we cannot do a thing. And honestly, we are not to work on our own. God did not create me to be a worker. That when I have fellowship with Him, He does everything for me. And so it's not I who do the work, but God does it for me. God who works in my life. God who fulfills promises. You shall call to Him. And He will show you big mysteries. And so God is the one who works. I have not been created to work. I have been created to be a loving partner with God. Amen? And so if you keep trying to do something without fellowship, then already you are losing sight of God's original purpose for your creation. And you keep trying to, you keep creating this uh, tendency to try to make it out of your own strength. And what does that do? That means that's legalism. And what is legalism? Legalism is continually binding yourself. And at the end, at the end of legalism is that you get come to the point where you cannot do a thing. We all live by the gift of God. Amen. And so that's why we call it grace. Amen. And so we're going to look at Zephaniah chapter 3. And this chapter 3 is now a prophecy regarding the last war battle at Armageddon. And so uh, this, this is the times that it's in right now. Now, of course, first of all, he's seeing it through the vision of Babylon's judge, uh, of judgment of Babylon. But the focus of this of this prophecy is that this time of tribulation comes, but in that time of tribulation, God is going to establish His remnant. That though all things are being destroyed, all things are being ruined, and yet in the midst of that, God is going to establish His remnant to maintain His glory. And so this isn't just simply uh, applied to the eschatology, but as it says in Revelations, remember that the Bible is the history of the remnant. Even Isaiah, what does it say? That the Messiah comes out of the current of the remnant. And so even Jesus himself is part of the remnant. And so the Bible is fulfilled through those who walk fully with God. And so the Holy Spirit is led through those who give their lives for the truth. 
So as I said on the first day, that there is only one uh, flow to salvation that the Bible speaks of, which is you being holy and blameless. And so the purpose isn't for you to go to heaven. That's not the goal. And honestly, in the Bible, it doesn't say that we're going to heaven. It says that the kingdom of heaven comes to us. And so already this word of going to heaven itself is incorrect. And so the, the flow, the overall flow of the salvation of the Bible is us being holy and blameless. That is the only promise that the Bible speaks of. And so you just live however you want, can't pray, don't have fellowship with God, and you're going to heaven? I don't know, the Bible doesn't say. That kind of person will only find out after they die. That they died and it was bright, then, oh, okay, then it's okay, they ended up in the heaven. That, oh, I, I, good, good grief. But let's say you open your eyes and it's a little bit dark. And there's weird guys running around you. Then you ended up in the wrong place. And so the Bible doesn't talk about salvation in this way. That even if I die right now, I'm going in glory. And so from that perspective, it says that already the kingdom of heaven is, is fulfilled in you. That already you are in eternity. And it's just not yet perfected. And yet we are in eternity. And within me is the kingdom of heaven. And so though we live in this three-dimensional physical world, yet I am under the dominion of another dimension. And so let's say that there is a great tree here. And let's say that uh, beyond this wall, it's a completely different world. And so as this tree gets so large, its branches go out into the other dimension. And so then those branches, where does that branch belong? Is, does it belong outside the wall or inside? Here, right? Why? Because the root is here, right? It's the same thing. Our root is in the kingdom of heaven. And because our root is there, even though our branches are out in the world, we do not belong to the world. Let's say that my body went, my arm went here. And, that, and let's say that he grabbed my arms, claiming that it's his. Does that make this arm his? No. It's the same thing. You are in this world. But the world cannot claim you. And so if you think that this is true, if you think that you, you do belong, then that is you are being deceived because our root is in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. 
And so by what are you going to live your life? Where do you belong? This is what needs to be constantly confirmed in you. And that's what we call our identity. And so you should live your life knowing your identity. Amen? And so because we are the children of God, that when we end our lives on this world, God is going to end it in glory. That is his only purpose for you. That is his only determination for you. Why? Because God is a God of love. And so, of course, he wants his kingdom to come. He wants his children to come into his kingdom in the highest of glories. Amen? And so I have a child, right? Do I want my child to be a beggar? Do I want my child to live in the gutters? No. I want him to live in the glory, right? In glory. Why? Because he's my child and I love him. Amen? And so God has the same desire to you. And so even regarding our identity, we need to have this clarity. And so let's look at these end times described in chapter 3. In these end times, God is going to leave a remnant. And you all must stand as the remnant. And this isn't about my choice. But the remnant alone will be victorious at the end. And they alone will stand before God and next to God in glory. Amen? And so the focus of Zephaniah is is an eschatological prophecy. But who is God going to work out in this eschaton? That is the remnant. And so let's look at what these remnant are all about. Chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to her who is a rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. And so this is talking about the city of religion, Jerusalem. And so God has led um, Israel into victory during the Third World War, but they compromised with the Gentiles and pollute the world, or pollute that land, defile that land. Kind of like giving East Jerusalem to Palestine. And so the warfare of God's wrath is the battle of Armageddon. It is the last warfare war of mankind. And so God is uh, filled with wrath. And so let's look at the contents of that wrath. Verse 2, she listens to no voice. And so in verse 2, uh, he's talking about a certain state. And so it's like because he is A, he is not B. For example, it says that uh, she does not trust in the Lord. And so what that means is that it doesn't just end with not trusting in the Lord, but it means that he's trusting something else. And so this is the reality of your personality. Let's say that I don't believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't just end with you not believing in Jesus Christ. 
but it means you are believing in something else. If, I, if I'm not relying on God, it doesn't just end there, but I'm relying on something else, whether it's money or people. And this is the state of existence for people. They can't help but do this way. Many people think this way. That, oh, I simply didn't do good things. I just, but at the same time, I didn't do bad things. That is a mistake. If you know the, exist, the, the system of man's existence, you cannot speak this way. When you are not doing something good, it means you are doing something bad. When you are not loving someone, it means that you are hating them. Because that's how mankind was created. And so when you think about this way, this becomes really sensitive, doesn't it? And so do not be deceived. Ah, oh, that I don't love him, but at the same time, that doesn't mean I hate him. No, that's not what the Bible says. Why? Because it's all about your being. It's about your existence. That if I am a being that can love, then I will love. Just as I, I sin because I'm a sinner, I am not a sinner because I sin. Okay, because I'm righteous, I do righteous works. It's not out of righteous works that I'm made righteous. Okay, is your head moving crazy? Okay, understand? And so look, when you live a life that's based on your actions, that is being deceived by this world. And so now when you go to the kingdom of heaven, you'll see many people like this. Oh, I lived, I did good works. Oh, I did good works. No, that is your own uh, standard, your self-righteousness. That is your morality. And you cannot go to the kingdom of heaven with those things. And so I'm going to, uh, so from here you go to Korea. And so let's say that I swim, I swim across the Pacific Ocean. Okay, after three kilometers, you'll probably die to a, a shark. Okay, I cannot go to the kingdom of heaven through my own methods. For example, me going to Korea by swimming from here is not a matter of whether I swim well or not. And so, every standard is Jesus. Whether you believe or not, the standard to mankind is Jesus. And so it's just simply that the world does not recognize that. Why? Because uh, the fate of man is that they have to meet with God. And so meeting with God every day and so eventually meeting Him on those last days. But let's say that you don't meet with Him at all while you're in this world, then when you meet with Him, but you will meet with Him on that last day. And when you meet Him on that day, there will be no hope. And so are you following after me? And so if you don't understand your existence when you're reading the Bible, you will not be able to understand a thing. And so how can we have eternal life? 
through our efforts? No. No, it's because I have fellowship with him who is eternal life. Okay, you received amazing power and, and, and healing during this conference, didn't you? And so God did that through me. Is it because I have that power of myself? Is it because I have authority? No. It's because I have fellowship with him. And so he is just working out through me. And so we cannot do anything of ourselves. Only all we can do is have fellowship with him. And so can you love out of your effort? Can you love your children out of your effort? Can you love your wife out of your effort? If you think that way, that's what's actually causing you to be exhausted in the end. Okay, man cannot agape of their own accord. And that's why the Bible says that he loved us first. He gave me his love first. And so that's why through that love I can love others. The Bible is always talking about your relationship with God. The Bible is only talking about who you are within the context of that relationship to God. Amen. And so, when you believe in God, the most important thing to your faith is continually receiving who you are as you live with God. If you lose sight of that, then that's when you get caught up in works. You keep thinking, I have to do something, I have to have something, I have to, I have to have, I have to do. This is the life that you end up living. But this is being indebted to the flesh. And so your life becomes heavier and heavier. And as you get older and older, you get heavier and heavier. And so when, even when you were living alone, it was heavy. But now you have children. And it becomes even more of a burden. And so your children get married. And you thought it would get lighter. But now they bring grandchildren. Now it's even heavier. This is the fate of those who live by their works. And so we are not beings to live by our works. But conversely, if you live by your being, the older you get, the lighter you become, the less burdened you become. You're, there's freedom continually covering over you. That is glorious, uh, glor uh, gl the glorification, that nothing can bind you that Jesus or in God alone can move you. This is freedom. This is the image of those who live by the existence. And so look at yourselves right now. That am I getting lighter as I get older? That am I becoming more free? That I, I, do I have any obsessions? Do I have any desire for things? Do I have this burden that I need to do something for someone? Because I cannot do a thing. Because God alone has to work. 
And so I have to live, I live a life that only God must give. This is the natural life that the Bible describes of man. And so there's some of you, as you listen to my words, it's very hard to receive. It's because your life has been based on works. Instead of your relationship with God being important to you, but rather I keep thinking I have to do something, I have to do something. But God doesn't do anything to this kind of person. He waits for them to let go. He waits for them to give up, to surrender. And that's when God will uphold them. And so when is the beginning of your faith? It begins by you surrendering. It begins by you letting down. That if you keep, even if you attend church for 30 years, if you keep doing things through your own strength, it means that you haven't even taken the first step of faith. You need to lay down yourself. You need to receive who you are. And as time goes by, you need to be unburdened, less burdened. And as time goes by, you need to be more free. Whether it's to people or money, nothing is, an, is a stumbling block. And so, uh, because of these things, it should not keep you from doing the things of God. That, oh, because of this person, I was unable to work. Oh, it's because of money, I was unable to do this. No, that should not be the case. If you, if you live with God, they will not be the problem in your life. Amen? Amen? And so verse 2 is talking about their identity. She listens to no voice. And so this word um, command is really important in the Bible. It is deuteronomical um, language. And so in John, in John 12, uh, uh, Jesus uses this word uh, important in, in a way, and he says that my word is a command. My word is a command, and that this word is life. And so when he says command, it's not something that he's forcing you to do but rather because of the love of God you do it willingly when my wife says to me I want something to eat okay, I go as quickly as I can and buy it what she wants to eat because I love her even her smallest desires is a, is a large command to me. And so there are some of you who have this kind of husband. And you ask them, I want to eat this. And he says, oh, you just eat what you want. Go buy it. Okay, this is a husband with lots of problems. Okay, pastors, repent.
It seems as if I'm on the side of your wife, right? Well, honestly, I love the pastors. Daniels, let's continue. And so if she accepts no correction, she listens to no voice, it means she's listening to something else. And this is the... Uh, and so we need to receive these truth propositions really well. Because this is will determine the color of your faith. And the Bible is written in many of these kinds of many of these kinds of propositions. For example, this morning we talked about how Jesus and the Holy Spirit cannot be separated. And this is a really important proposition of truth. And so we need to receive this in faith. And this isn't a simple matter, but the moment you believe this, how does your spiritual color transform? You be filled with the Holy Spirit, means filled with the Word, means filled with Jesus Christ. And that you come to realize that these three are one. And so if you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the Word. And if you're filled with the Word, you're filled with Jesus Christ. These cannot be separated. And by any chance, uh, that my, my church has the power of the Holy Spirit, but nothing else. Then you are saying that by yourself that you are a uh, That the kingdom of heaven is all integrated, it all moves together as one. And so because you receive these false propositions of truth, that's why the Word of God is not being made manifested gloriously in you. And so we need to receive these truth propositions very well. Then within you, God will make these kinds of spiritual color. And so that's how important it is to receive the truth. Um, Okay, I'm going to be having worship tomorrow here on Saturday night. I'm going to bless the children of this church. But I'm going to explain what that blessing is tomorrow in the sermon. And so look here. It's really important to receive the truth propositions of the Bible and let that flow through you. Because as long as that happens, then there's no problem with the church. Because ultimately, the Holy Spirit is a spirit that follows after the truth. And so no matter what power is manifest, it cannot be separated from the truth. If the truth is accurate, then the power of the Holy Spirit will not, will not be limited. Just as when a plane is on top of the rails, the train can go as freely as possible. But if it's outside of the rails, it cannot even go forward. So it's the same thing. The Holy Spirit cannot move outside of the truth. And that's the problem with uh, charismatic movement. 
that they keep trying to demand the a, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit without the Word of God. And so, brothers, through this conference, that God is creating this flow in you. And so when you go back, you need to keep maintaining this flow and keep following this path and keep expanding it in your life. And so all the power and authority that has been made evident through, to you through this conference, all you have to understand is that this is just one aspect of the truth. That is, this is just simply the way that God's word has been made manifest. To some it's manifested in love, to others in healing, or to some in uh, comfort. And so all of these uh, elements of, of the kingdom of heaven is the element of the word. And so I do not doubt the word of God for even a moment. And so if uh, I command the dead to come back to life, then he should come back to life. If not, then God has to explain to me why. Why it didn't unfold according to his word. And there are many reasons, as you, as you have well have heard, through Habakkuk. And so this truth proposition is the most important thing. And so this word is more important than your life. Let's continue. If I stay here, we're going to have to preach all night long. But since today is the last night, we can do that, yes? Okay, and so uh, accepts no correction. And so the authority of the Torah is a command, right? It's a commandment. And this correction is is correcting what's wrong, right? And so if you do not receive the word of God, then the things that are crooked cannot be made straight. And it means that you are listening to something else as you live your life. And then it also says she does not trust in the Lord. It's because they are filled with their own strength. And so let's say that this brother and I lean upon one another and we're relying upon each other, yes? How do you know the evidence that one person is not relying on the other person? Is that if I escape and if he falls, if he's relying upon me, he will fall. If he's not relying upon me, he will stay standing. That's what it means, trust in the Lord. That are you fully relying upon God? That you do not have your own strength. And so if you do not trust in God, that means you're trusting in something else, particularly your own strength. And so the most critical damage of not relying on God is going to be affected in your prayer. Why are you unable to pray? Why is your prayer fail to be desperate? It's because you are relying on something else. And so you must think that even if God doesn't 
answer, you can still survive. And so if you look at 1 Kings 18, Elias is seeing which God has called him. Or, or, or no, so which God is the true God? And so Elijah uh, pours on his altar 12 jars of water. And right now it's a battle of who which God sends fire. And so why did Elijah pour water on, the, on this altar then? Right, logically speaking, if you need fire, you want it to be dry. And so why did he pour water there? Why? To get rid of the availability of mankind. That, man, that he would fully rely upon God. And so the greatest suffering that you suffer when you do not rely upon God is your prayer life. And so that you are still unable to shout out in your prayer. And I'm not trying to just force you to pray loudly. But, but the thing is, is, if you're relying upon God, you will pray in a loud voice. And so in our church, when I uh, ask my church members, when I speak to my church members, if their voice is not uh, hoarse, I say that, oh, you are not praying. Your voice must all be hoarse. Why? Because you are praying to God in a desperate manner. And so everywhere in the Bible, there's nowhere where we can see an example of someone praying very quietly. And so there are times where they meditate. But it's just simply uh, regarding the Word of God. So even Hebrews, as it says, it, uh, it gives the uh, example of Jesus Christ. That he cried out with loud cries and desperation. So even our Lord Jesus Christ prayed that way. And so how dare we pray quietly? That is the current of the Catholic Church because that's how they taught you how to pray. But we need to pray with loud voices. We need to pray in desperation. We need to rely upon God alone. So let's continue. And so all of these things are reasons for Israel being judged. And she does not draw near to her God. And so what does this testify? It means that she's, they are close to something else. If you're not close to God, it means you're close to something else. But we need to be intimate with God. We call this intimacy, yes? Always being intimate with God. That we need to feel God closer than my breath itself. And so it doesn't matter how far away you are from the world and anything else. But with God, that's something that we should never be far from. And so on this earth, our Lord proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so though he says that the kingdom of heaven is in me, the Lord describes this as the Lord is, uh, that the heaven is near. So why does he say it like this? 
because we can at any time be able to grab the kingdom of heaven. And so that means that I need to purposely try to be close to the kingdom of heaven. That I need to keep receiving the reign of God, the dominion of the kingdom of heaven. And so that's why he uses this expression, the kingdom of heaven is near. And so we always need to be at that range where I can stretch out my hand and grab the kingdom of heaven. And we need to always be under the presence of his dominion, of his reign. And so you do not need to be, know anything else. It doesn't matter if the world doesn't acknowledge you. It doesn't matter if people don't acknowledge you. But let us be close to the Lord. Let us be close to the kingdom of heaven. If we are far from the kingdom of heaven, that's where we are, where, where we are worried. If you do not see the kingdom of heaven, that's when you, can be afraid. you should be afraid. Amen? We should always be close to him. And so this is how Israel was supposed to live. But because they didn't live this way, the world entered. And they kept hearing the voice of the world. And they started getting closer to something else. And because they tolerated this time. And so that's why they end up being doomed. And so this is how it, it begins. This is how it begins of you uh, being far from God and having nothing to do with God. So this is really, so verse 12 is very important. And so we all need to be in this state. Are you listening to the command of God? Are you receiving his correction? Are you relying on him alone? Are you close to him? And so here it says, near to her God, my God. And so this is God that you are meeting with. Your personal God that you are meeting with. So verse 3. So now he talks about the corruption of the leaders of the nation that uh, the officials within her become a roaring lion. It means that they're oppressing the weak, taking from the weak. Uh, the judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. And so they're continually uh, oppressing and stealing from the weak. So verse 4, uh, her prophets are fickle. And so treacherous men, right? It's talking about uh, unfaithful husbands. It means that someone is unfaithful. And so what, if it's prophets, that means that they are uh, lost in the worldliness. They needed to be living with God, their bridegroom. But they cast him aside and they live with something else. The prophet. And then it says that they are fickle. It means that they are looking for their own benefit. And that if it's their benefit, they serve God. But if it's not their benefit, they cast him aside. And so from our perspective, from an application to us, it means that a pastor is in this way. And it says the priests profane what is holy. Remember that in the holy temple, they should serve God in holiness. 
but they are defiling what is holy. Why? Because the priests have been defiled. And so uh, they do violence to the law. And me, this word violence is that they rebel against the law. And so if, pastors, you lose holiness, then whether you're aware of it or not, you are rebelling against God. You are defiling the holy temple. And throughout this conference, I've been saying that the standard for pastors, pastors, your whole, the standard of holiness for you is different from the rest of the And so because we are in the New Testament era, as pastors, we should be meeting with God every day in the Holy of Holies. And so laying down your pastoral burdens, your ministerial burdens, and as a holy being, as a holy one person, a single being, meet with God in the Holy of Holies and let everything go down. And so, you can, and so for that, you need to hear the voice of God because you cannot do it out of your own strength. Why? Because pastoral ministry is receiving people and transforming them to be like God. And that is not something that I can do out of my own efforts. That's not something I can do on my own. I have to uh, meet with God and God alone. And so if you cannot maintain, if you cannot uphold this level of holiness, then do not be a pastor. That's evidence that you are you do not have a calling to be a pastor. So if God has called you, then you will receive this, this measure of a pastor with pleasure until 52 years of age. The priest did not leave the tabernacle. So that's why they retired early. Until 52, they, they, their whole lives were devoted to serving the Lord. And so there's much to say regarding the measure of holiness. And yet, I believe that another opportunity will arise. And so because verse 2, uh, the problem, they have problems in verse 2, there are problems with the leaders. And the reason, the ultimate reason for this problem is recorded in verse 5. The Lord within her is righteous, he does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. And so God, every day is doing righteousness to Israel and pouring out his glory. And so Israel is supposed to receive the light of that righteousness in order to survive. But by failing to receive it, they can't help but do shameful things on the top of the wall. And so from the New Testament perspective, God is continually shining the light of His glory upon us. And we should not deny that grace for even a moment. If so, then you're going to end up living of your own methods. That is what it means to be a man. And so then all we have to do is repent. But if you keep maintaining, uh, denying this light, then you get to this point where you're unable to repent. And so as quick as possible, you need to stand close to God. 
I showed today. This is the most basics of faith. And so, for example, if you are born again, uh, you need to understand what it means when you are um, compromising against God. And it's not something that you needs explanation. For example, my children know what know the state when my when I am one with my wife. They know what uh, mother and father do not like. Why? Because they are my children. And because they have lived with me for a long time. And so they know that this direction, when this direction is right or wrong. And so if you are born again, then instinctually you will know the direction of God. But the reason why your direction is continually wrong, even though you're born again, is because you keep turning away from God. And these kinds of people need to repent deeply. And they need to find God's direction once again. And so 32 years ago, when I met with the Lord, I started hearing His voice. And not for, and not for a moment did I lose sight of that voice. And so I know clearly His voice, and I know who He is. I will not be deceived by other sounds. I won't be deceived by the sounds of the world. I will not be deceived by my own thoughts. But to some people, even though they hear the voice of God, they turn away from that voice, and they keep hearing the sound of the world and the noise of the devil, and hearing their own thoughts. And so they lose sight of God's voice. Why? Yeah. And so they, they're losing the basics. And so we need to find the direction of God once again. And you need to be able to hear His voice again. And you need to not lose sight of His voice. Amen. And so if you do not know where God's direction is, that's a big problem. You need to repent, amen? So let's continue. And then so verse 6, the, the nuance of the prophecy changes. And so it's because of this tragedy that this kind of things happen. I have cut off nations. And so in the midst of this wickedness, uh, God is showing his judgment. And especially verse 6 is prophecy of the Third World War. That in the Third World War, many nations are going to be ruined and Israel is going to see many nations being ruined. And so their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate. 
without a man, without an inhabitant. And so not only just Jerusalem, but also other nations as well. And so this is the result of those who do not receive the righteousness of God. And so as Israel saw this, they should have come to their senses and should have lived as it says in verse 7. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. They should have lived this way. I've continued spoken about fear up to this point. And remember, correction means that they are receiving the Torah. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I've appointed against you. But even though they see the Third World War, they cannot do this. And so they receive the punishment, the judgment of Armageddon. And, uh, but all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. And so instead of repenting, they're being more defiled. And so Israel can't help but receive another judgment. And so how should we uh, uh, interpret this judgment? That, uh, that to the world, God's judgment means it's the end game over for them. But what about judgment over Israel? It is God's will to uh, keep Israel, to guard Israel. This is the pinnacle of God's love for Israel. That as a child of God, uh, the greatest of love is that he maintains our dignity. He keeps our glory. As it says in Romans 8, what is the most, uh, Romans 2, 28, what is the most uh, severe judgment of God is that God just leaves them to do as they will. That is the most powerful judgment of God. But when a child of God loses their glory, then it is God's love to keep that glory by beating us and disciplining us. And so in order to maintain your dignity, if he needs to take your money, he will take your money. If he needs to take your health, he will take your health. If he needs to take your fame and take your honor, he will take it away. And so to those who truly love God, they will not be, uh, hold this against God, but rather they will beat their breast in repentance. That, Lord, I love these things more than you. That I was more closer to these things than God. And so the amazing love of God is that He always maintains that dignity in, what, in every way. Why? Because God reigns over us with the eternity in mind. It's not about whether we eat or drink well on this earth, but are we going to be of the highest glory when His glorious kingdom comes? 
And so are you, are you able to hear the word? So let's continue. Verse 8. And so the Lord has, is beginning his, his, his wrath, his punishment. Verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I arise to, up to seize the prey. And so the Third World War ends, and now he's preparing for uh, the Battle of Armageddon. And so this is a very terrifying event that, that, that he's telling us to wait for me. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. And so he's going to gather the nations. Uh, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. And so uh, it's because of the wickedness of Israel that God prepares the battle of Armageddon. And, but as we saw in Habakkuk, that God raises up the wicked to, to correct Israel's wickedness. That is amazing wisdom of God. And it's the same thing here. That uh, because of Israel's wickedness, God is uh, going to gather all the nations. And really, all the nations are going to gather as an army to, to destroy Israel. And yet, this is also the strategy of God. Because at the same time, the, uh, the wickedness of the world is being judged. And so when Assyria surrounded Jerusalem, God's presence was so strong that though uh, 20,000 were, were surrounding the city, they could not fire a single arrow. And the next day, they all, be, they all wither away and die. This is the terrifying nature of the God. Because David knew his amazing power, he says that even if 10,000 were to surround me, I will not be afraid. And so even though all the nations gathered their armies against Israel, it seems as if Israel is destroyed. And yet, but God reigns over the wickedness and he deals with the wickedness of the entire world all at once. And this is the amazing God that we trust in. Amen? That all things are possible to him. And so, of course, we, we will revere him then. And because we live with him, the world is insignificant to us. Really, the world is nothing. It is insignificant. And so the more time you spend with God, one of the evidence that you are spending time with God is that the world becomes less and less of an important thing to you. Uh, when you go to Korea, in, in Jeju Island, there are waterfalls. Did I say this here in, in Honduras? Right, but when I compare it to Iguazu, it's as if uh, a baby is taking a piss. It's the same thing. 
when you see His glory, the world is insignificant. Verse 9. And so what is the result of this? For at that time, I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech. This is the amazing, this is the result of this uh, tremendous judgment. That if he's changing the speech of the people to a pure speech, it means that he's cleaning their hearts. He's purifying their hearts. And so that means that Armageddon has finished and already they're in the Millennial Kingdom. And that all the hearts in the Millennial Kingdom will be clean, will be pure. Why? Because there's no more demons. And so there's no deception, there's no temptation. And of course, the priestly kings who are wearing the resurrection body, of course, they are holy, and so their speech will be pure. That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. And so in the Millennial Kingdom, where only one religion exists, the religion of Yahweh, that all the nations will serve God alone. How amazing, amen? And that is the day that we yearn for, that we hope for. Verse 10. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. So what is Cush? Cush is the farthest place from Israel at that time. That means from all over the world, they're coming to Israel to serve the Lord. And this is something that all the prophets prophesy, as you can see in Isaiah 60, that the remnant, the, the, the diaspora of the Jews will return, and the kings of all the various nations are going to come together in pilgrimage and in homage of the king. And this new Jerusalem is going to be the headquarters that has dominion over the entire world. And so in this millennial kingdom, there will be a clear distinction between Israel and the Gentiles. And so in, in the uh, millennial kingdom, there will be your power, uh, the power for your fall. Uh, anyways, and so this isn't, um, this isn't prejudice. But rather, uh, those who are close in Jerusalem maintain the office of priesthood. And the priestly kings who come with the Lord will go out as representatives of that kingdom to the various nations and rule as governors. Now, of course, amongst those four nations, one of them uh, may pass away that, that, that the three will still be uh, leading praise, even in Korea. And so, uh, so we all need to be able to stand as that priestly king. And so when, we, when you see that glory, you will understand why this time is needed for me to be made holy. 
because it doesn't just happen out of nowhere. You have to focus on God and separate yourself from the world and live a holy life. And that kingdom is soon coming upon us. And so let's focus on God just a little bit more and have deep fellowship with Him. Let's continue. Let's hurry up and finish this. I know that you're already tired. Or are you thinking about just the pizza? Okay, but let us be blessed. If you don't receive blessing, as you see in Mark 4, even what you receive will be taken from you. So we need to receive grace. We need to keep receiving the word. This is an important word. And so verse 11. All that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. And so all the sins on this earth uh, they have been claimed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But, but all the sins that were not of our actions, uh, we we will not we do not have to worry about those things because those things will not bring us to shame. And so the, to those kingdom of heavens, uh, they they they. Uh, but of course, there will still be some who are clothed in the flesh. But they will not be able to sin. Why? Because through Jesus Christ, the perfect light is shining. And there are no uh, demons or, 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 or items that would make them want to um, sin, that would tempt them. And then it says, um, then I will remove from your midst your probably exalted ones. And uh, in Habakkuk, it says that the representative of the wickedness is being proud, is living of themselves, and so they, sh uh, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. And so the millennial kingdom is the place where the practically righteous people live. And so we need to keep maintaining the ser service of God. Amen. And so verse 12. But I will leave in your midst of people humble and lowly. And so in verse 12, we see that again, uh, something is that the times is changing. That who is being remnant now for this glorious kingdom? It is the remnant, right? And they are um, a humble and lowly people. They are humble and lowly people. People who rely on God alone. And so they are receive their reward through the name of Jesus Christ. And so in the time of this hardship that God will protect them. And so verse 13. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice. That they will not live for themselves. That in these end times, before these end times come, Israel will get, deny themselves and live for God alone. Yeah. 
they will not lie. And so their relationship with God is proper. There is clear evidence that they are not living with their own accord. And so, no sh nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and that shall make them afraid. And so, we'll become beings that can avail everything that God provides for us. If you look at Michael 4, that we can stand at the poor, poor, and the and the bread. So no one can take this from us. And so should we not live as the remnant? Amen. Okay. And so uh, the remnant needs this righteousness of God. And not anyone is going to be the remnant. That they need to live a remnant life. And because God has chosen them, that they can lay down the things of the world. Uh, the world will not allow you to hold on to a confidant when, uh, when your children have already blackmailed you. And so remember, we receive glory and sin at the same time. And so because we have seen glory, suffering comes with me. Why? Because you are the master. So, for example, let's say that there's a slave, and his ma master is about to be ruined. And so, all the slave has to do is now leave. But my son, if it's my son, he suffers with me. It's just the same thing with me. Because you are uh, the main play actors in the kingdom of heaven, without the glory of God, uh, with the glory of God comes the power and suffering of God. And so this kind of man is not, uh, does not have the cities of, of South Pellier. And so the reason why God gives you his kingdom is it's not simply just so that you can rejoice and celebrate, but rather so that you can enjoy and avail that glory. If you want to enjoy and avail it, you have to be the master of that car. And so, Lord, uh, uh, that, that glory with glory comes with suffering, as it says in Romans 8, 17. That with glory and with uh, suffering. Amen. And so let us stand as the remnant. Amen. And so now in verse 14, what does it talk about? That uh, they're going through this time of tribulation. Because this glorious kingdom comes, he says to Israel, do not be afraid. Verse 16. It says, uh, fear not, Zion, let not your hands grow weak. And so, in other words, it's cheer up. Cheer up. It's okay that this glory is waiting for you. And so, Honduras, cheer up. That God's glory is coming upon you. And so verse 14 to 20 is all this encouragement being expressed. So verse 14, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. 
in the midst of the suffering, he's saying that to them to sing aloud. Why? Because the glorious kingdom is coming. And so it says, shout, O Israel. And remember that the characteristic of the life of God is, is that you will rejoice. And so just as you praise your praise, just as you sing praises, not just during the songs, but every moment by moment you rejoice in the same way. Especially as you listen to the word of God, you need to rejoice in this world. What else does it say? Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jesus. Saying to rejoice and exult. And so, in one sentence, look at how often this word is repeated rejoice, uh, rejoice, and good things. Three, four times in just one sentence. Why? Because if you look at Isaiah 65, that new Jerusalem is built in joy. And the clear evidence that you are living with God is that you will rejoice. And that joy doesn't come out of your circumstances, it doesn't come out of your reality. But you know who God is, and I know who I am. And so, uh, 365 times in the Bible it says, do not, uh, no, 365 days the Bible says, do not worry, do not worry, but rejoice every day. Because worry is the source of unbelief. When worry comes, just see that our unbelief is attacking us. And no matter the circumstances, we can rejoice. Even now, though the circumstances, the circumstances of suffering, oh Zion, sing and exult. Oh Zion, rejoice. Honduras, rejoice. Honduras, rejoice and praise. Sing aloud. Verse 15, it gives the first reason why they can rejoice this way. For the Lord has forgiven them. That the Lord has taken away the judgment against you. And so this word taken away means erased. And if our sin has been erased, then judgment has been erased. And what else? He has cleared away your enemies. Because we have no sins, the devil who, who needs that sin to survive has nothing to do with me anymore. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And so if you do not deal with the issue of sin, that king cannot be with you. But now through our Lord, uh, thanks be to God that all of this has been dealt with. And so we are with, the king of all kings is in our midst. And so, you shall never fear evil again. And so it means that the king takes responsibility over you. That the king has forgiven you, and the king takes responsibility, and you are with the king, and you have lived as kingly beings. Amen. And so let us have faith in this. And so no matter the circumstances, no matter the hardships, we do not have to fear. We do not have to despair. And as I look back in the past 32 years of my life, that there was never a moment where a problem became a problem to me, whether it's money or people. 
that 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 uh, even though they cannot be a problem, if I'm not walking with God, that's why they become problems. They're not being deceived. Amen. And so the problem is not having God. But if God is in our midst, if we are with God, then there is no problem. And this is not a theory. For the past 2,000 years of Christian history, that's how God used His His servants. If you look at Acts 12. But, uh, Peter is about to be uh, executed the next day. And so he's waiting in the prison cell to be put to death. And even in that circumstances, he's able to sleep comfortably, sleep at peace. But even though the angel awakens him, he's so deeply in sleep that, it, that the angel had to kick him. That's how he wakes Peter up. And so this is the life of those who live with faith. That even if they are to die tomorrow, that they can sleep deeply. And so if you have insomnia, it shall all fly away. All worries and fears and anxieties shall go away. And then secondly, what's the second reason? Verse 16. On that day shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. And so God is, is speaking like a warrior. And so he's saying that he will make it so that you do not have to fear any longer. That he will make it so that you do not have to despair. Oh Israel, cheer up. Honduras, cheer up. Cheer up. And so God isn't cheering you up so that you can simply feel better. But he's going to make this practical in your life. He's going to make it so that you will not fear. He's making it so that you will not, you will cheer up. And so no matter the circumstances, it is not an issue to a children of God. And then the third reason why we can rejoice is the Lord your God is in your midst. It is because of his amazing love for us. Verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst. He's now speaking to you like a lover. A, a mighty one who will save. And so this save is not simply going to heaven, but no matter the darkness, he can save you out of that darkness. And so do you know what it means to be mighty? Don't think about mighty from various perspectives. Mighty means that he is exists on a different dimension, that he is he is dimensionally different from you. And so look. Uh, no matter how much we may 
uh, advance our technology, even if we were to fly at the speed of light, it would take us 5,000 years to reach certain stars. But look at uh, Isaiah. God is someone who folds the universe. And so instead of having to go travel at the speed of light for 5,000 years, all he has to do is fold the universe. And so we can go within that distance in a moment, in an instant. It's because God is, exists on a different dimension. It doesn't matter how large of a vessel man may make, it cannot hold the, all the waters of the ocean. But God holds the ocean, waters of the ocean in the palm of his hands. He's on a completely different scale, on a different dimension. How mighty is our God? That Psalms says that the earth is his footstool. And that the universe is his throne. So think about how large he is. That, that the earth is his footstool and the universe is his throne. The heaven is his throne. How large would his panties be? You cannot even imagine, can you? Because he's on a different scale. Okay, when I was young, I used to be a little rascal. And there would be a lot of ants in our front yard. Then I would piss all over their, their, their marching lines. Then the ants would go crazy. That, oh no, a flood! A flood, a flood! And so even look, this man, man and ants are on a completely different dimension, right? How much more with God in you? That's what it means when you call him mighty. This is the one who is holding you, who is keeping you. This is the one who is in your midst. What shall you fear? What shall you worry about? Amen. Amen. And so what does he say? That he will rejoice over you with gladness. When I first, uh, when I had my first child, I hold on to him. And I didn't know what to do. There was no words to express. And so that's what God is, that's the picture that's been painted here. That he will rejoice over you with gladness. And he will quiet you by his love. And so I held my son, and I couldn't say anything. And so I just groaned like, oh, And so he'll quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. And so how much he rejoices that, wow, this is my son. And then so he gets surprised. And so my wife, my wife says, why are you scaring your son? But my love is overflowing. And so, wow, you are my son. You are my son. That is how God is loving you. And so look. If you look at John 17, we see this Trinity God. 
and he has fellowship with love, authority, and respect. And we call this glory in the word. But in that relationship, we have been invited. And so that's why we have been given that glory. And so you are having fellowship with God in the midst of that glory. So listen carefully here. That if you have proper relationship with God, your dignity goes up to the heavens. How high? Hebrews 2, 11, 12 says that the Holy One and those who are being made holy are of the same essence. That we are the same essence as Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the Son of God. And that Romans 8, we are also sons of God. He is an heir of God. We are also a fellow heirs of God. And so my dignity goes as high as Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we lower ourselves to the depths. We can't help but be humble. This is proper relationship with God. That uh, your dignity goes up to the heavens, but you also humble yourself, humble yourself. And so this happens at the same time. And so that's how much of a good relationship he's having with God. And so we have been invited into the midst of this glory this morning. And so as children of the king, we have fellowship with one another. And so as it says in Ephesians 1, the seventh uh, blessing, what, how, how does he describe you? Listen carefully. Because it took me a long time to, because I was unable to believe this. What does it say? That you are the praise of his glory. And so look, Zephaniah 3.17. God is saying to you the same thing, that you are the praise of his glory. That it's not God, but I am the praise of his glory. Amen. So look up to heaven. If you see the roof, you have no faith. You need to see heaven. And can you see God with his guitar? And he's singing over you right now that I have my beloved son. His name is Sergio. He looks good. And he's good at everything. And women like him a lot. But you are my glory. And you are my praise. You are my pride. That's how and so brothers, this creator God, this almighty one, when he calls you the praise of his glory, what else could you need? What more could you want that this amazing being calls you the praise of his glory? What else do you need? All we need is him. He is my everything. And so we do not need to yearn for anything else. We don't need, you do not need anything else. 
All you need is Him. All you, he needs to be your everything. And so what, because Paul received this amazing love, he says that you are more than conquerors. And that who can cut me off from the love of God? Amen? That no one can separate me from the love of God. And so that's why God says that he has begotten us in love. And he doesn't use the word that he created us. No, he begot us. He cut off a piece of his life. You have been begotten by God. Amen? And so... And so we can rejoice, amen? No matter the suffering, no matter the hardships, amen? And so who are the, and so lastly, it ends by describing who these people are. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival. And so starting from verse 12, it talks about who the remnant are. And who are the remnant? Those who mourn for the festival. Because Israel gets taken into captivity, they can no longer have these festivals properly. And so because this time of suffering comes, they cannot worship God properly. And so it's not an issue of how to survive, but rather they are concerned with how to worship God. And the remnant are those who yearn for the glorious worship. And so these are who God is gathering. And so in these end times, this glorious worship is very, very, very important. And so your church, your worship needs to be glory. So what does he say regarding them? Uh, that, uh, that so that you will know who are they? Um, And so we need to offer worship properly. And so uh, they want to worship God. But they have to work. And in the midst of this hardship, because they need to find things to eat, that's where they waste their energy. But this isn't the shame of those people, it's the shame of God. And so look. To those who give their all for the glory of the worship, God will take responsibility for them. And so the time of famine is upon us. And yet, even during this famine, the righteous shall be rich. Why? Because why did God call us? God called us to worship. God called us to keep the glorious worship. He called us to keep the truth. So if you give your lives for this calling, then God will take responsibility for everything else. Then I will take responsibility over you. Amen. Amen. And so, and so if you cannot pray because of your needs to work, you need to cry out to God regarding this. The Lord, I want to pray. 
Lord, I want to lift up true worship. And God will hear that cry. And so I say to my church members all the time that if you cannot worship God, if you cannot pray to God properly, if you cannot devote yourself to God properly, and yet and then you should not live your life in the world separating your energy to the world. That do uh, rather spend time in the world with remaining time. And so we need to yearn for this, brothers. We need to thirst for this. God doesn't want you to waste all your energy into the world and being unable to pray at the end of the day. Why? Because we are no longer indebted to the flesh. Because we are no longer indebted to the flesh. So this is about faith, brothers. We need to believe this, believe the promise of God. That we have no longer indebted to the flesh. So this must be your proclamation. We have no debt to the flesh. Because you are children of God. You live by the authority of your lips. You do not live by your body. Living by body is the slave. But we are people who live by our lips as children of the king. So let's continue. So verse 19. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. Oh, so all of those things that have kept them from worshiping God is going to curse them. And so who are those who worry for the festival? It is the lame. Those who cannot walk without a walking stick. Those who cannot survive without first relying upon God. And Micah 7 also prophesies a similar thing. What talks about uh, the chaste ones out. And so these chaste ones out are the fringes. That they are unable to enter into the mainstream of society and are always on the fringes. And so children of God are always on the fringes. Even, even uh, Jesus, Daniel, they were all on the fringes. And so we do not need to thirst for, for the riches of, the, of Babylon. We do not need to thirst for the riches of the judgment of or duchy of Nistria. We move by the words of God. We do not move by the commands of the king. And so then, if you move by the words of God, you will not enter into the new world order. And so another thing, and gather the outcast, I will... I will change their shame into praise. Okay, because they know the truth, they are being persecuted by the world. They are getting cursed. And so the lame and those who cannot live without God, the outcast. 
do not be do not try to be acknowledged by the world and those who are persecuted because of the truth and so these people when the kingdom of heaven comes they will their shame will, will be changed into praise and renown in all the earth and so as you become more and more like god you are not receiving the praise uh, the prize of gold you are receiving the prize of praise and honor so as you live on this earth uh, you may think that uh, praise and honor is not a great reward but in that kingdom where all things are restored this praise and honor is of the highest value and also who is the one who gives you this praise who is the one who gives you this honor it is coming from the king of all kings and all the righteous are going to uh, be righteous towards you along with him and so when the kingdom of heaven comes your glory will be determined and that glory will be expressed okay Mary prepared a perfume uh, for the Lord before he was before his death and so the disciples complained saying why did you waste this money and what did he say he said leave her be she's preparing she's doing something good and she's praying for me and so look at how precious this work was that wherever the gospel is proclaimed this story of this woman is proclaimed what is this talking about that now this woman will always have the praise and honor follow after her so even this moment, the Lord is calling Mary. Mary, Mary. Pastor Mino Kim is speaking of you right now. And all the heavenly hosts are acknowledging that glory. This is what praise and honor is all about. And so the nobility that we are receiving on this earth, when his kingdom comes, we're going to see how great this praise and honor is. That kingdom, uh, even those who give uh, uh, cold water uh, in his name will also receive, will receive his reward. And so because of that, you'll receive praise and honor. And this praise and honor is a very great reward. It is the king of all kings acknowledging you and all the heavenly hosts are acknowledging that as well amen and finally verse 20 at that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together so this is talking about the last tribulation and so God is going to lead us for this glory and he's going to gather us together if you look at Revelations 12, the remnant will gather by the sea. And so when this end times comes, the uh, remnant will gather by the sea. And they will make a network for the systems there. And so what we're doing together is not insignificant. 
it is gathering of the remnant in these end times. And though uh, the numbers may not be large, we can all talk about, or we can all bring about the victory of God. Why? Because we have been made in perfect holiness. And so the Lord is gathering that remnant. And so why I'm calling you to Korea? And why am I calling many people to Israel? Why wherever I go in the world do I gather people? It's to fulfill this prophecy. Amen. And so do not treat this gathering us lightly. This gathering is a gathering of the remnant. And so next year in March, wherever it may be, I hope that 2,000 people of Central America will gather. The remnant shall gather. Together, we fight together. Hallelujah. And what else does it say? When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, And so we're being set free from all the state of Babylon. And so when the Lord returns, that I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. And so when that time comes, even now we are acknowledged by Him. When that time comes, we will receive this renown and, and praise. And so right now, it's not about being acknowledged by this world. That's not what's important. It's okay. The world doesn't need to know us. All we need is God's acknowledgement. All we have to do is shine before God. Amen. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, on that day, may all those who are seated here we receive praise and honor from you. And we thank you for calling us in this season where you are gathering the remnant all over the world. And now may the remnant of the South of Central America gather that we will be united in heart to pray and, and that we will fight for holiness. Lord, be present in this place. And, ga and gather us and praise us as the remnant. And now, Lord, we believe that it will begin from this conference, that as we go back home, that this anointing, this truth, and this power, this authority will be activated in us, may it be multiplied in us. May glory flow through Honduras. And may they raise up as the remnant for Central America that they would trample upon the enemy. Be present in this place. Be present. 